Acts 20, 35. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I'd like to speak to you on this subject, a culture of generosity. God bless you. Please be seated. Today I want to give biblical perspective. Always, that's the most important thing. And then I want to tell some of our story. On September 12th, we will celebrate six decades as a church, our 60th church anniversary. And the overarching theme is the faithfulness of God through times and changes and all the things that a church would go through in 60 years. But since my coming to be pastor almost 26 years ago, 26 years ago this month, I've watched God as he's helped us create a culture of generosity. We should be a generous church because it is a nature of the kingdom of God. When the Lord created the heavens and the earth, he was generous and gracious in his creation. He clothed the earth in beauty and abundance. In salvation for God so loved the world that he gave. God was generous in giving his own life for our sins. The Bible said that if he spared not his own son, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The Lord is gracious and merciful and he is generous. And with the psalmist I say, bless the Lord. O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Amen. He daily loads us down with benefits. He is a benevolent, generous, gracious God. And Jesus taught his disciples to be generous in the way they conduct themselves with other people. If he said, if someone compels you to go a mile, a Roman soldier wants you to carry their pack a mile. Jesus said, go the second mile and carry it there. Jesus said, if someone is rough to you, if he sues you at the law to take away your shirt, that would be the modern translation, they're going to get the shirt off your back. Jesus said, give him your coat also. In the King James, it says, your coat, give him your cloak. And from the birth of the early church, the church was generous. In Acts 2, they had all things common. They sold possessions and goods, and they parted them to all men as every man had need. In Acts chapter 4, a man named Barnabas and many others, having property or land, sold extras and gave the price of those things to the apostles, and distribution was made to every man as they had need. This was the, the generosity of the early church, it was in the DNA of the church then, and it should be in the DNA of the church now. As the book of Acts unfolded, there was a, a dearth, the Bible said, a famine, and it affected Jerusalem in a, a deep way. They were in an economic depression. But churches around the world who were birthed because of the church in Jerusalem showed benevolence and generosity back to the church in Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul wrote about the churches of Macedonia who were very poor, 
but they were filled with abundant joy and they overflowed with rich generosity. Paul said that they gave not only what they could afford, but they went beyond that and they did it of their own free will. They begged us, Paul said again and again, to be part of sharing the gift of this offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And Paul said they went beyond what we even hoped. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and then they gave themselves to us to minister to this need. And then, as the Apostle Paul often does, he used that example, that good example of the Macedonians, and he talked to, talked to the Corinthian church in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 about the lack of giving of the Corinthians. Now, when this need came up, the Corinthians, who were really zealous people for spiritual gifts, they were the very first church to raise their hand and say that they were going to give. A year had passed, and they had not given a dime or a denera, right? And they were, their excitement about giving sparked a lot of enthusiasm among other churches. They got other people motivated to give. They pledged, but they never give. So Paul said, I want you to follow through. He said, when we come, we're going to send some men ahead to make sure that you've gathered your offering. He said, I don't want to be embarrassed, and I really don't want you to be embarrassed. You promised to give, but you've really not given yet. So he's kind of working on their conscience to get them to go ahead and do what they said they would do. But Paul said, I don't want you to give grudgingly. We're not going to do this out of pressure. I want you to understand that God for a farmer provides the seed and then he provides the product, the grain or the bread. And he said, I don't want you to do this for the wrong reason. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves someone who gives out of a generous heart, not because of coercion, pressure, a sense of obligation, we give in response to God's goodness to us. And Paul said, if you'll do that, God will generously provide all you need. And then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with other people. 2 Corinthians 9.8 in the New Living Translation. So Paul said, if you'll do this, you'll have what you need and you'll have enough left over to give to other people. And those you give to will thank God because of your generosity. And it is a win-win. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of generosity. And that brings me to the story of Acts chapter 20. Paul was wrapping up a missionary journey. He was on his way to Jerusalem but he made a stop in the port city of Miletus, which was about 30 miles south of the city of Ephesus. Paul had been there three years establishing a church in Ephesus. So he sent to Ephesus and he invited the leaders to come meet him at Miletus for somewhat of a leadership retreat. It was a farewell speech that Paul would make to them. And it is to me one of the most moving passages in the Bible. In Acts chapter 20, Paul tells them, you know the kind of person I was among you. You know my life. I've been with you through all the seasons of life. I've been with you in humility of mind, many tears, 
the troubles that have been attacking me. And he said, I didn't keep anything back from you that was profitable for you. But I showed you by example. I taught you from the Bible how to live. And he said, I want you to remember my ministry. That there's a lot of trouble and persecution in my life. But none of these things move me. Neither do I count my life dear unto myself. And he tells them kind of sadly. That after this meeting you will see my face no more. But he said I want to take you to record this day. That I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He told them to take heed to themselves. And be careful for those who would come from the outside. And try to steal people away and rob them of their faith. And how among their own selves grievous wolves would arise. And, and this would be trouble for them. And try to draw away disciples after them. But he said watch and remember that for three years I ceased not to warn everyone day and night with tears. And I commend you to the grace of God. This is an amazing passage. Paul speaking to these Ephesian elders. And then he begins to talk to them about the sacrificial nature of his ministry and of his generosity. Acts chapter 20 verse 33. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or a parable or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands, he lifts his hands up, have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. He was bivocational in his ministry there in Ephesus. And I have showed you all things, how you so laboring ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul said that Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now Jesus taught a spirit of generosity for people. In Luke chapter 6 verse 38, Jesus said, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give unto your bosom for with the same measure that you meet with all Good old King James. It shall be measured to you again. Whatever way you want to be blessed, think that way when you give. Someone said if you want a teaspoon of blessing, give a teaspoon in generosity. If you want a dump truck load of blessing, think big and give as big as you can to God. For however you measure it out, it's going to be measured back to you again. Now this is a very powerful verse. It's situated... Luke chapter 6, among some ways that we should be generous with people. He said we should love people who hate us. That's generous. We should bless people who curse us. That takes a big heart, right? We should give more than is required of us. We should remember the golden rule to do to other people as we would have them do to us. And he said you should be good and lend, hoping to not receive anything back again. You should be merciful for pe to people who don't deserve it. And you should not judge others lest you also be judged. It is in that context that then Jesus says, Give and it shall be given unto you. Now I think all of these things apply to giving. But specifically in Luke 6.38, 
I believe Jesus was not talking about mercy or judging, but in these one-liners, single-verse application, He is saying that if you want God to bless you, remember Him when you give. And think about the size of the blessing you want from God when you measure it out in your generosity. Now, for all that Jesus taught in the Bible about generosity... I found it fascinating the first time I realized that there's something that's not recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John about the words of Jesus that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Those words quoted by Paul were said by Jesus but never recorded in the days of his earthly ministry. Those words belong to that immeasurable volume of words and deeds that Jesus did that the world itself cannot contain the books that should be written of all that Jesus ever did. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If you believe that Jesus was right, would you just say amen? Amen. But tell that to a two-year-old. Or a five-year-old maybe. Generosity is probably not innate in most of us. It is a learned behavior. It is counterintuitive to the selfish nature that we all have as a result of sin in our lives. But you're more blessed to be able to give than receive regardless of the amount. If you're like the lady who gave two pennies in the offering, you're blessed to be able to give that. And Jesus didn't measure the money He measured her means and she gave more than all the rich people in God's own eyes. So you're more blessed to give than to receive just because you're blessed to have something to give. That is a blessing in itself. And really the act of giving is more rewarding than the act of receiving. Sometimes even though you have to kind of wrestle it out of your own hands to let go of it. Amen. But you know how it is when you get, when you receive, regardless of what it is, it would be nice if it was just a little more. Just like how much money you earn. Thank God for what you earn. But wouldn't it be nice if you earned a little more? Don't lie in front of God in church now. You know you would say, yeah, sure, I'll take more is better, right? But when you give, there's an inherent blessing of knowing that you did something for someone else without any expectation of a payback or a return. Jesus talked about that. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And then the Bible says that when you give, God will bless you. Give, and it shall be given unto you. If you'll be generous... God will see your giving and God will make sure that he returns what you gave plus much, much more. Amen? He said he's going to give good measure. This is how they would measure grain in a, in a basket. It's going to be heaped up, pressed down, shaken together, running over. In other words, God's never going to cheat you out of more than you've ever given to him. He will give you a blessing that you cannot even contain. If you will be generous with Him. Our church has been blessed because we have endeavored to be 
of blessing. So today I've given you the biblical foundation, but I want to tell a little bit of our story. For 60 years, and especially for the past 26 years, God has helped cultivate in our church a culture of generosity. It is the Bible way. It's what Jesus preached. And I believe if we're genuinely grateful for salvation, we will be generous and God doesn't have to force us to give. Now I'm aware that there are many churches that are very generous. And there are small churches that may not give the amount that we give to missions causes, for example. But if you looked at per capita giving, if you looked at their resources, they're probably like the widow who gave two pennies. They probably give a whole lot more. My purpose today is not to boast. It is not to compare. It is to celebrate what God has done in us and through us because of our culture of generosity. We believe that you should return to God your time, your talent, and your treasure. And every time you give a minute serving God, blessing someone else, I believe God takes careful account and He always remunerates, He always blesses you for sacrificing your time. There are so many people in our church that generously give of their time that it is really impossible to calculate. At halftime, we reported 339 people who are officially involved in ministries of our church. But beyond those people, I'm aware of stories of people who are in our church who do things that never get reported or noticed or calculated. It is not a part of an official ministry of our church. It just comes out of a generous heart. I was talking to an individual this week. They've been going through a rough season of sickness. And this person told me on the phone that in the last little while, someone has brought them a meal. People have let them know they're praying. Someone came and cut their grass. That's not noted in the archives of Atlanta West. But there's a God in heaven who sees a cup of cold water given in his name. And whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, Jesus said, you have done it unto me. Every random act of kindness, every meal cooked, every call made, every text message, every visit, every good thing you've done in the name of the Lord is making a difference. And I want to say thank you for being a generous church and always trying to bless someone else for the blessings that you've received in your life. Amen? You ought to celebrate that and thank God for a church that is focused on giving and not getting. Amen. And I've learned to not sit back and wonder why it didn't happen for me. Instead of looking for it to flow to me. Instead of saying I'm going to church serve us. I'm going to go serve God and other people. And God always takes care of paying you back. He will never owe you. Believe me. And if you're not involved. If you're not a generous soul. I encourage you to change your nature, repent of your self-centered nature and your selfishness or maybe the feeling that you're unworthy and find a way to do something for someone else as unto the Lord. Amen? Amen. In a couple weeks, August 29th, after church we'll have two small group fairs, one after each service. You'll have an opportunity to sign up for a small group. Many of you have been contacted about leading a small group. 
I want to encourage you to get involved in giving of your time to engage in a small group. In our small group experience, which was limited because of COVID, we saw people come to the Lord and be saved because of a small group. We saw people who were not connected, but they got connected to the Lord and our church because of a small group. It is sacrifice. It's something to give. But I'm telling you, the rewards of serving and ministering and being a part is an amazing thing. The early church gathered publicly and they also met house to house. So I encourage you to sign up to lead if you've been asked. Sign up to be a part of a small group. We want to see this be a way for people to come to God. Time belongs to God and we are stewards of our time. Our talents belong to God. And you may be saying, me? What talents? But the Bible is very clear that when He ascended on high, He led captivity captive and He gave gifts to men. Every person in the body of Christ that is filled with the Holy Ghost has received gifts from God that are to be used to build up the body of Christ and advance His kingdom. Amen. You may not be a five-talent person. You may be a two-talent person. You may be a one-talent person. But I promise you, you are not a zero. And if you want God to bless you, take what you've got and give it invested in the kingdom of God. And the Lord will honor you. For every one of us has been given a measure of faith according to the gift of God. We believe in our spiritual shape. That we have spiritual gifts. We have a heart for a particular ministry. We have abilities, a personality, and experiences, and all of that makes up the package of who we are to be deployed in the body of Christ to build up this body called the church. And if the Lord gave you gifts, it was for His glory and for the good of other people. In our church, we serve where we're needed and also where we're gifted. If I turn off a light, because it's on when everybody goes home. I don't really feel a gift to do that. I just do it because it's a need. Amen? So you serve where you're needed, even if you don't feel a particular gift. But we love for everyone to be in the sweet spot of the gifting that God has given them. And I want to remind you that each of us will give an account to God for how we developed the gifts He gave us and how we deployed them for His glory in the church. And if you know that's true, would you say, Amen. Amen. Our greatest need right now is for people to be involved in personal evangelism, teaching lost people a Bible study, helping disciple them in the church. Our time, our talent is so important to building up the church and we need every able-bodied soul to be fully engaged for your benefit, for the benefit of the body of Christ, and for the glory of God. Time, talent, treasure. An easy way to remember your money. And I believe the Lord has helped us cultivate a culture of financial generosity in our church. Just as we're not equally gifted in talents, we're not equally gifted financially. And then... Some people squander or waste their finances. Other people are good stewards of the blessing of the finances they have. 
There are people who live on meager means or kind of middle of the road income, but they're frugal, they honor God, and God has blessed them. My parents were people just like that. Never had a lot of money, but God blessed them because they always tithed, they always gave, and they were careful with how they spent their money. Amen. At Atlanta West, we're careful how we give. We don't sound the trumpet. We don't announce what we're going to give. Our giving is done very low-key. No fanfare. No, with simplicity. When we give next week in our Move the Mission offering, there will be a commitment card. No one's going to raise their hand and be obligated for a certain amount of money. For 26 years, that's how we've done it here. And God has blessed our church. And God has blessed our people. And when we give, no one knows if someone is rich or poor. No one knows what anyone gives because we want it to be under the Lord and not to men. We don't want to cultivate pride. We want to cultivate generosity in the way we give. I'm amazed at how God has blessed our church. In 2020, even with COVID, our church gave $516,000 $742 to World Missions Endeavor. And that is in addition to the $2.1 million that was given in tithing income to this local church. The $516,000 left this church, left this church. It did not stay here. It went to bless other people. And I believe that giving precedes revival. And when the Lord called me to be the pastor here and you elected me to be the pastor. I remember sometime in that first year, I, I felt like our church was spending energy in things that were not really central to our mission. Our wonderful ladies back then had a fall festival, and they would work for months to raise about $10,000, which was and is a lot of money. But there was a tremendous amount of time and energy that was spent in and it bothered me. I felt like it was not the best use of the resources of our time and that husbands and children would starve at home while their wives were working for the Lord. <laughs> Something like that. So I was at the Georgia District Conference, our annual business meeting of our district, and uh, Brother Don Hanscom was preaching. There was an altar call. And I came to the front. It was on that side, kneeling at a metal chair. And I was just praying about our church. I wanted our church to really be the best we could be. And I was a new pastor here. And the Lord spoke to me. And I hope after all these years, you know, I don't say that lightly. But He spoke to me as clearly as He ever has. And I believe word for word like this, He asked me, Do you want to be a giving church or a selling church? He said, If you are a selling church, you can make a profit. If you will become a giving church, I will open to you the windows of heaven. Immediately in that moment, my spirit was broken. I knew what to do. And from that moment, sometimes we may have a small fundraiser for Bible quizzers or whatever, but our focus has not been on selling. It has been on giving. It is the biblical model. It is the way that God can bless us and open the windows of heaven. Next Sunday, we'll receive our Move the Mission offering. It's been sheaths for Christ all these years. The Lord has done something really amazing at our church. 
because of our generous sacrificial giving to move the mission. And I want to share some of this history for you to understand the culture of generosity and what I just shared about a giving church or a selling church. In the past 25 years, and now we're on 26, but we've not given this year yet, God has worked miracles with Move the Mission. As I've already said, but I'm purposely saying it here, we do not pressure anyone to give. We present the need. Brother Joel tells you what Move the Mission does. We invite you to pray. Privately give. If you're part of a family, talk within your family. I encourage you parents to allow your teenagers to give. Your children to give. The amount is not the issue. It is the blessing that God will give when we honor Him to obey His Word. So we're just going to receive commitments. We'll add them up. And we'll celebrate what God has done. My first year here, I had been pastor about a month. We gave $1,000 to move the mission. And I kind of begged everyone to please help me with that. Because I was still the general youth president. And I at least wanted our church to be a part of that offering. But since that time, in 2009, we had a breakthrough year. In 2016, we had another breakthrough year. And I believe that God was creating a culture of generosity. He was teaching us to give in an extraordinary way so He could bless us in an extraordinary way. When people catch the vision for giving, God blesses. And historically, our local church has been amazingly blessed because we believe in giving. 2009. At that time, I was serving on the Global Missions Board, and we were at the School of Missions. Uh, on the way home, my wife and I were flying back from St. Louis, and that coming Sunday, just a couple days from then, we were going to receive our She's for Christ offering, move the mission. And uh, so my wife said, how much money do we need to hit our goal? Back then, we set a more specific goal. Now I say pray and let God do it, and it's more than that, right? I said, well, to hit our goal, we need a sacrificial offering of $7,000. And she said, whoa, that's a lot of money. And I said, that's a lot of money. But then I said, and this is uncharacteristic because, you know, always be nice to your wife. I said, that's nothing. I said, let me tell you what happened to me at the school of missions. So I was there and sitting in a devotion. And uh, in that devotion, Brother Harry Sism, who was uh, before the, the director of global missions, and he was giving a devotion to the missionaries, talking to the missionary family. Now, this is an amazing thing because he's been there, done that, served in India, served for the entire world. And he's challenging the missionaries about their calling. He asked them, if your support in North America dried up, would you stay on the field and trust God or would you come back home? And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, you know, these people know what sacrifice is and he's, he's kind of throwing them down on the mat and asking them if they're going to, you know, obey the call of God or come back home. And I remember feeling this spirit of like, I'm not even sure that I know what sacrifice is compared to these people I, I, can't even, I can't even carry their Bible, 
They're such sacrificial people. And as I was listening to Brother Sism, the Lord gave me a vision. Now, I know I'm telling you some things that are supernatural that God has done, but God just showed me something. And, and I want to call it a mental movie. While I was sitting there listening to Brother Sism, I saw this flash before me. I saw a treasure chest. It was closed and locked and chained, and there was a lock on the chain. And I saw a person, no, no face, no name. I saw people, but I saw this person standing over this treasure chest with a real panic look on their face. Like somebody is going to get in my treasure chest and steal my money. And when I saw that, the Lord spoke to me and said, This is my church in North America. They are afraid that I'm going to get into their finances and take more than they can afford to give. I came back home. Brother Robert Tisdale was preaching that Sunday. I had a treasure chest. It was locked and chained. I took about five minutes to tell the story that I just shared with you. I unlocked the treasure chest. I left it there and Brother Sism began to preach. And Brother Tisdale began to preach. As he did, Brother Doyle Tanner got up and walked and put something in the treasure chest. And Brother Josh Austin came and then people began to pour out of the aisles. And people were going to their vehicles and getting their checkbooks to write a check. And at the end of that Move the Mission offering, our church gave $55,000 to Move the Mission. It was, a, it was a blowout year. We had never seen anything like that. You see, because to God, $7,000, that's nothing if we open our treasures to God. 2016, Michael Lindsay was here, youth president at the time. He preached, your miracle is in the bag. And when he did, we gave. And in the sacrificial offering alone... $110,000 was not just committed, it was collected. And let me pause right here to say, you are amazing people. I hear people say, well, you'll never collect more than about 80% of what is committed. I said, I just want to tell you that at Atlanta West, it's 100%, 110%. Our people do not overcommit. They pray, they ask God, God provides, they give what they say they're going to give. You're not like the Corinthian church. That's just a lot of talk. And a year later, you've never done it. God provides and we do it. Amen. $135,000 that year after we added our walkathon money. It was unbelievable. In the past 25 years, again, we haven't given the offering this year. Our church has given $1,376,000. To move the mission. In the five years from 2016. From the Michael Lindsay year to last year. We've given $791,000. In just five years to move the mission. This extraordinary generous giving. Is not the results of a wealthy donor. I have a man that was a friend. He's since, since passed away. He was a very wealthy businessman. Through many years he paid his church off three times. The last time he paid his church off, 
he wrote a check for $3.2 million. And at his funeral, they celebrated what Tommy Wallace had done in Columbia, Mississippi. So we'll take wealthy donors whenever God wants to do that for you. But here, that's just not what happens. I remember one year... Mark Morgan was here. We gave a sacrificial offering. I talked to my wife. We committed the largest offering we had ever committed to missions in general. I had a man in our church walk up and sit down beside me, tears in his eyes. He said, Brother Johns, the Lord has impressed me to give this much money. It was 10 times the largest offering my wife and I had ever given. It blew my mind. But I believe when I obeyed the Lord to do what was a stretch for me, that God moved on somebody else to do something that was a stretch for them. And there are hundreds of stories of miracles in our church because of a culture of generosity. But people will ask me, do you have like a rich person in your church who gives all this money? And I'm like, no, that is not how it happens. It's a lot of good giving, but it's just a lot of people. Well, you know, how do you appeal for that money? No one can even fathom that we don't have everybody raise your hand. Take an hour to, you know, pressure you till you can finally come off that wallet and give. I don't believe God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. God loves generous givers. God loves people. They don't respond to pressure. They respond to the Holy Ghost based on their income, based on their economy. So we quit setting goals. If I told you we needed to raise a million dollars, that would probably that would go over your head. That's not the goal. So I've learned, you know what? The goal is between you and God. And when we all do our best, it all adds up. And it's more than we ever dreamed we could ever give. And I thank God for His blessings in our church. So this year, I'm not going to receive an offering today. But I want you to unlock your treasure chest. And just open it and let God reach inside and let you know what you can do by faith with His provision. And see what the Lord does. And then know that your miracle is already in the bag of your bank accounts. Or maybe it's going to come from a source that you never saw. Brother Joel shared with us some miracle stories from 2020. I don't remember ever getting as many miracle stories as last year. And I want to tell you, through the years, my wife and I have given, tried to be sacrificial and generous. You know, it isn't always, we're not playing the spiritual lottery, right? Like some lucky winner is going to be blessed by God. God blesses everyone who obeys His Word and acts in obedience. It's not always in money. It may be in ways that you can't even calculate, but God will always bless a cheerful, generous giver. We don't give to be blessed, but God just blesses. So here's a few quick stories. Last year, on the offering day, a couple in our church felt led of the Lord to double their commitment. I heard this over and over last year. So that next week, the company that he worked for, the, the husband, was going to pay their twice yearly profit sharing bonus. But this year, this past year, it was more than double normal levels. God was faithful to that couple. A single mom in our church made a sacrificial commitment. The Lord told them to give the earnest money they were going to pay toward a home. That was a sacrificial gift, but the Lord did it. Their interest rate was miraculously lowered, and that money was saved. 
And then they gave this person an extra $2,000 in closing costs because of some repairs that were not made. And ultimately, they saved $500 a month than what they were paying in rent in their mortgage. God saw generosity and he was faithful. Another person told me, we just made our commitment yesterday on that Sunday. On the next day, I believe it was August 24th, we got a check in the mail. It was more than we were originally expecting. The extra amount being ended up being almost the exact amount of our SFC sacrificial offering, not even a full day after we gave yesterday. And they said, God never ceases to amaze me. Another family told me God is faithful and good. We pledged, we made a stretch offering. It was the largest pledge we had ever made. The following week, we were blessed with a new car from out of nowhere. Yesterday, we got a deposit into our bank account for $250 above the amount we pledged. We gave out of our regular earnings expecting God to provide. And each day something came due. The funds were there to pay for it. God is a mighty God. And then I got a second email from this family that said, we just got an unexpected insurance check for three times the amount we pledged to move the mission. Another person emailed me last year and said, after we gave, I received an inheritance for $15,000. Another person said, I received a bonus that was twice the amount of my pledge. Another person said, double the amount. Even another family told me their story. They made a pledge and then God impressed them to double it. Two days after they finally paid their commitment, they had an unexpected deposit covering the full amount of their pledge plus an additional 20% that came to them from a source that is unexpected. Now if you read the book of Malachi chapter 3, the Lord said, I will open to you the windows of heaven. Now, Jesus said, men are going to give it back to you. I don't know how God does what he does. That's why he's God and I'm not. I don't ever worry about what God is going to do. I know I've got to worry about what I'm going to do in obedience to him. And I trust that God is not a liar. It is impossible for him to lie and he will always provide. So today, I, I really, I wrote an article about this. It came out in the last messenger. I wasn't sure I would preach about this. But this week, two different occasions, the Lord started bringing scriptures to my mind that I needed to preach today to remind you that God is faithful to his word and that God has given us a culture of generosity and that if we will obey the word of God, and we will do what the Lord has said, that God will once again be faithful to us, and He will bless us in ways that we cannot even explain, and often it is in finances, and I thank God for that. If you would please stand. I want to show you one more verse on the screen. And this is my call for today. We're not asking for money. We don't beg for money here. We believe in teaching the Bible and trusting people to obey God's word. And it's worked out really well. Because I have a clear conscience.
and a clean heart. And God has been so good to our people. 2 Corinthians 8 and 5. Remember the story of the Macedonian church? Here it is in the King James. Paul said, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Paul's telling the Corinthian church. Let me explain how this worked in Macedonia. They weren't pressured to give an offering, but the Macedonian people, they gave themselves to the Lord. And when they gave themselves to the Lord, I'm going to say, Pastor Daryl John is going to say, they effectively took the key, unlocked the lock, pulled the chains off the treasure chest. They opened it up and they said, okay, God, we're giving you ourselves. Now, what do you want? Do you want me to be involved with my time in ministry? Do you want me to give my talent in a way I have never done or it's been a long, long time? Lord, are you wanting a financial offering from me? What is it that you want, Lord? I first want you to know, God, that you've got me. And when you get me, you've got all I've got. You have everything that belongs to me. Amen?